0: Welcome to From Duck Till Dark Outside the Marvel Studios. An audio celebration of the films based on Marvel Comics characters released before and during the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough said. Face front, true believers. This is George Soroy, and welcome to the latest episode of From Duck Till Dark, outside the Marvel Studios. This is part of the National Podcast Post-Month Challenge, which is recording, editing, and posting an episode of a podcast every day for 30 days. Considering the subject matter for this particular show, mine will be going a few days past November into December. And... I do have to say that I've been giving a lot of thought about what to do to continue this show after the obligation of the National Podcast Postmonth Challenge is completed. Maybe I'll go back in and next year do a season two where other movies are expanded upon, maybe some interviews that can possibly happen with people that are involved in these movies. It would be incredible to have that opportunity to do so. I'd like to hear from you. What direction would you like to see this show go in after this initial challenge is completed? Would you like it to be a weekly show? Would you like it to be a bi-weekly show? Would you like me to revisit this next year for the 2022 National Podcast Postmonth Challenge? Whatever the case, I'd love to hear from you. Just go to George at he's got it.com and send me an email. You can also go to the main site as he'sgotit.com and you can not only – Uh, Be able to subscribe to this show from there. You can also subscribe to the flagship show that I have, Excelsior Journeys, my weekly interview show. And you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter. And that is just starting to get off the ground. So feel free to sign up there as well. And also just go ahead and send me an email if you have any sort of suggestions on what you would like to what you would like to hear on this show with what you would like to see or read on the newsletter whatever the case would love to hear from you and of course if you feel the need to rate and review my this show or excelsior journeys it's always 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 appreciated for those of you who have uh, listened to this show so far thank you very much for doing so I'm glad that you were able to stick it out for those first four episodes because those first four episodes were dealing with projects that either failed at the box office or didn't even make it to the American box office there was a lot that was that was going on with with Marvel at that point a uh, lot of bad deals working with working with different studios. From what I understand, according to what I've, you know, read up on New World Pictures, Roger Corman's company basically bought the rights to Marvel Comics <laughs> and had had all these different properties to play with. And that the, at the same time like they were also eventually kind of like getting grabbed by other smaller companies too, like Canon Films. They were the ones that that eventually would once, actually, once they would get spun off into 21st Century Film Corporation by one of their co-founders, Menachem Golan, he would go on to make the Captain America movie. And so there's there was a lot that was going on with this. There was a lot that was going on with with uh, with these with these properties, and nothing nothing of it was good. One thing that was good was in the early 90s. That was when Marvel made a deal with a company called Toy Biz and their top guy was Avi Arad, and he wound up being like a real key factor in getting all these marvel properties correctly off the ground he was able to make a deal with fox and get the x-men animated series off the ground and then a couple years later he was able to do the same thing with spider-man unfortunately around 96 marvel declared bankruptcy and uh They were in real bad shape, and so they needed something. They needed a win really, really badly. And it was at this point um, in the late 90s, that's when comic book movies really kind of hit the skids. By this point, we had already seen Superman rise and then fall, and then tragically an even bigger fall when Christopher Reeve was paralyzed. And then you had the rise of Batman, with the Tim Burton, 1989 Batman film, which was a phenomenal success. And then 1992 came Batman Returns and that did very well. And then in 1995, Batman Forever had done well as well. That wound up being, I believe, the top moneymaker of the year. But then two years later, the fiasco that was Batman and Robin. So you throw in Batman and Robin and then you have the very forgotten steel in 1997, and you also have Spawn, the first property from Image Comics to reach the big screen, and that unfortunately did not age well. But then you have, then you have Men in Black, which a few people really knew that it was based on a comic book at all. But then the next year, in August of 1998, we got the first legitimate attempt by Marvel Comics to get on the big screen. Since 86's Howard the Duck, it was, that was a legitimate, purposeful um, attempt to get – to become a success on the big screen. It was – George Lucas didn't want to fail with that obviously. Um, but here we are 12 years later and they're giving it another shot. And But what they did here is they decided to go with a character that wasn't even breakaway character in – his own book. He didn't get his own book for a while. And this would be the character Blade. He was created in 1973 as a supporting character in the Tomb of Dracula comic. And he was created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan. And he was originally created as someone who was immune to being turned into a vampire. He wasn't what they call now a daywalker. That came later. Now, this is one of those properties that was at New World Pictures, and there was many different attempts to do something with it, but that eventually fizzled out, and New Line Cinema came in, and they wound up acquiring the project. And they originally wanted it to be a spoof, and this is around the time of- Batman and Robin, and they were starting to kind of make that turn towards something, something more lighthearted and more reflective of the 1966 Batman series. So thankfully, David S. Goyer came on the project, and he was able to convince New Line otherwise. He said that you know this had to be something legitimate. It had to play up the character himself and not make fun of it and really present it the best possible way. And there were three different actors that New Line was uh, their main choices to play Blade. And it was Lawrence Fishburne, Denzel Washington, or Wesley Snipes. And Goyer knew that Wesley Snipes was going to be the guy. And sure enough, he was. <laughs> Boy, was he. And so this in wound up being a modestly budgeted, not a huge budget, but a decent budget. And when a movie gets released in august that's usually the dumping ground that's where the projects that the company doesn't really have too much faith in so it was one of like the last gasps of a very very busy summer 98 was very very stacked there were you know two competing asteroid pictures with deep impact and armageddon you had godzilla collapsing you had lethal weapon four you had the mask of zorro It was just one thing after another and then you have then you have blade which came out in august of 98 and it was a hard r and it earns its r From the violence, from the tone, like everything about it, it just felt like it fit that midnight movie vibe that the other movies had, that that The Punisher had from 1989, that Captain America kind of had because of its budget, that Howard the Duck had because of the sleazy element to it. And so it really fit the vibe that Marvel was going for, whether it was deliberately or not. That's what they were doing. And... It worked. It really, really worked. It actually had a $45 million budget and worldwide it wound up earning over $130 million. So it was a surprise hit. Now, what were my thoughts on the movie? I was into it from the very beginning. I loved the vibe that it gave. Just really raw. Definitely something that feels like a drive-in movie. And Wesley Snipes, God bless him. The man was Absolutely perfect in this role. I thought that he nailed it absolutely perfectly. And he has the presence that just works so well for him. That opening shot, the panning up of him. And it was just so much. It was awesome. It is like one of the best possible openings to a movie that you can get. And just the feel of it. It's just an, an awesome, awesome intro. And the battle scene that came, a, came after it. I love the fact that the effects look kind of hokey, but at the same time, it's just like, I mean, I love that it's not perfect. I love that it's, it's got its own charm, its own flair. And director Steven Norrington had, was able to keep a really, really awesome pace to it. And I really liked what David S. Goyer really brought to it. And Dave, David Goyer deserves a lot of credit for getting this whole, the whole superhero genre really up and running. And so he was he was very he was very instrumental in this whole in the in the comic book movie genre being what it is today, because if he did not convince New Line to play it seriously, to play it true to the character, then it would have just come and gone as just yet another attempt to be like Batman and Robin. Thankfully, that did not happen. And. What we got instead was a really cool feel to it that that real that had a real good grit, really strong violence, a lot of blood, lots of blood. And he also created the character of Abraham Whistler and who would – he was in like in Goyer's earlier drafts and Marvel was able to kind of take him and get him on the small screen on – I believe it was a Spider-Man episode that intro, that had Blade. And so Whistler was someone who actually made it on the small screen before he made it to the big screen. And now he's actually part of the whole Blade mythos and played by Chris Christopherson. I, he was an, an awesome character. He's a badass. And how much of a badass is Abraham Whistler? He's someone who grabs the nozzle for, for filling up the gas tank in Blade's car shoves it in spills gas everywhere and then immediately lights up a cigarette like that's how much of a badass he is and he it, it was it was a good dynamic between the two of them i think it was a very strong dynamic and i really liked coming in as as her character who wound up becoming so much more than your typical damsel in distress. There was so much more that she was able to bring, and I appreciated that. And I really dug what Stephen Dorff brought in as Deacon Frost. I was really into that character. I think that he played him. He played him perfectly well. He's someone who is impatient and really longing for something, something bigger. And looking to basically break free of this monotonous setup that the that is that his superiors have, and so he's got bigger plans. He's able to fulfill them, and the way he's able to usurp command was pretty inspired. Just the way that he was able to do it and win over his people, I thought it was very strong. And his his dynamic with Udo Kier was also was also terrific. The climax. For the movie is a blast. I'm so glad that they did not go with the original ending, which was uh, Deacon becoming La Magra itself and becoming like this huge like burst of blood that's becoming like this big like whirlpool. It, it, it did not. It didn't look good. I'm glad that it didn't look good because if it did look good, then they probably would have stuck with that with that with that idea with that concept. Thankfully they didn't. They kept him humanized like in the initial in this version of it, the final version. And thankfully they, they, it worked. Thankfully it worked. Now the only thing that I that has me kind of longing for what might have been is the actor who was originally approached for the character of Deacon Frost was not Steven Dorf. It was Jet Lee. And Jet Lee. Passed on it to do Lethal Weapon 4. Obviously it was to Lethal Weapon 4's benefit. He was an incredible villain in that and had a great presence and was able to bring something new to the to that franchise. But damn, can you imagine how awesome that climax would have been if it was Wesley Snipes versus Jet Lee? Li? Like going from going from the sword play to hand-to-hand combat. Like it would have been just absolutely incredible. And Jet Li's got a great presence to him, great charisma, and it would have been really cool to see what he could do to 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 bring to that character. Obviously, I thought that like I said, Steven Dorff did a damn good job. Um I would have been I'm still very curious to see what might have been when it comes to when it comes to Jet Li being Deacon Frost instead. Overall, I'd say that out of out of the movies that have been covered so far, obviously, this would be the number one. It tops all of them in terms of quality, definitely in terms of success. And it was that kind of success that led the way to another big project to finally get off the ground and finally see the big screen. And that would come two years later. And that's what we're going to be covering on the next episode. But until then, please feel free to check out the Facebook page for this group at facebook.com slash from duck till dark and any sort of thoughts that you post in the comment section regarding the respective posters that you see in there, those comments will be read over the air. So Until the next episode, this is George Theroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward and Excelsior. I'll see you soon.